For those who are listening, this podcast is rated R. (laughs) (laughs) As if you couldn't tell that already. For only the viewers who were actually in the podcast should watch this. (laughs) Red Raiders. Hello. Thread Raiders. Thread Raiders. Thread Thread Raiders. Raiders. Thread 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 Raiders. Raiders. Ladies and gentlemen, freaks and geeks, one and all, welcome to the Thread Raiders podcast. What started as a small uprising on Twitter has turned into a movement to spread goodwill among all creators. With the occasional side quest for mild salsa and spicy guac. Taco, taco, taco. And what you are hearing is the sound of the uh, guac in its native habitat. Yes. My name is Fenwald Griswick. I am Chaotic Anarchy. And today we have a special guest. Who could it be? I have no idea. I know, I know. I don't know. Who? I want to know. Who is it? Oh, it's Daquan Gaming. Woo! Yeah. Hi. Hello, sir. How are you? I am doing just fine. How are you guys? Excellent. Yeah. You're... Fabulous. I heard something amazing the other day about you. Oh my God! What'd you hear? You are a Twitch affiliate. Um, maybe. Yes, you are. Nice. Don't you golf clap? Yeah. Yay! Congratulations! It's wonderful news. Yes, it is very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Yay! So, what do you got going on your channel? What have you been streaming? I streamed a an entire run through of Dark Souls. I'm also streaming some Final Fantasy and uh, some D and D character creation videos. Oh, oh that's yeah. right! You are doing character creation. So tell us a little more about that. Well, you know, fairly self-explanatory. I sit in front of the camera, uh, have a friendly PDF of uh, the character sheet open. And we create characters, various kinds, um, anything ranging from pre-existing characters of fiction to ones that just come off the top of my head. And like people in chat too can help with you, right? Yeah, um, I've been getting a lot of that and it's actually really cool. A lot of people come up with some really good ideas. I saw on one of your streams you did Jack the Ripper. Yeah, that was the last one I did. (laughs) That was pretty cool. What was the race of that? uh, It was Dampier. And guess, oh. guess who chose that race? You did. <laughs> oh, totally. After I recommended it. Yes. Yay. Yes. So I definitely, I, I love the help. I love how people like want to come together to help create a character like that. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of fun. It's a great idea. How often do you stream it? Um, the character creation, I stream it once a week, uh, either Fridays or Saturdays, time permitting. Very cool. Now, do you have a lot of other characters you're going to be working on? Like, maybe Superman? (laughs) (laughs) That coming from someone who doesn't care much for Superman. Insert uh, (laughs) insert comic fanboys arguments here. Uh, (laughs) Boy, you know, I could. It's going to be difficult. I I have a feeling I'm going to be uh, needing to really mush the stats a bit. You know, that, I mean, it's Superman, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, You're welcome. You might, I might as well just have, like, them all the stats be, like, 20. Yeah, right. I was just going to say, and for strength, he rolls a 20. <laughs> and for dexterity, he rolls a 20. <laughs> Which is why Superman's not my favorite. But yeah. I won't rant about that today. <laughs> 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 
Uh, yeah, good times. Good times. All right, Grizz, what do we got going on today? Oh, it's so exciting. I'm excited. Yay! So, first of all, we have a fantastic interview with a handful of people who were who stopped by to talk to us about uh, Warhammer 40K. Um, which is a game that I had not played uh, up until that point, but after they explained it to me, I still haven't played it, but I have watched <laughs> many, many videos online. Plus, there's a new video game that just came out uh, that's 40K related, and mm, I'm starting to get very jazzed about all of this. Yeah, yeah. In addition to our interview, we have our regular segment, which is the news, and then after that, we're debuting a brand new segment called Tea Time. And Aww. you're going to want to hang out for that. You're going to love it. so cute. Oh, yeah. Then finally, at the end of the show, we're going to wrap it up with what's in the box. What's in the box? What is in the box? But first up, we're going to start off with our interview. We are controlling transmission. We've got a couple of lovely guests with us here today. We have uh, Jeff Tibbetts, a.k.a. Mr. Tibbs. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's the only time I thought he was going to keep quiet. going. I'm sorry. Oh, God. We also have the lonely havoc, Mr. Dan. Sup? <laughs> Enthusiasm. I like it. <laughs> and we also have hobbyist girl, aka hobby. Hi. <laughs> Wait, people call you hobby? I got, yeah. I call her hobby. I've never heard anybody call her that. I've been called much worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, take it. Do you prefer Sophie? We can call you Sophie. Yeah, Sophie works. Sophie. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so let us begin with the most pressing question that our listeners have, uh, something that they've been waiting for for quite a while to hear from this group. What is a, a fetid bloat drone, and what is <laughs> their relationship with Nurgle, the chaos god of disease? Should I take this one? Yeah, absolutely. You're the resident expert. Well, the fetid bloat drone is the best, best choice in the Death Guard book, and it's basically like a giant flying maggot held aloft by uh, small rotors <laughs> spewing uh, disgusting jizz-like substances from within its body onto its opponents. Wow. Uh, killing them in the most horrible way possible. Ew. It's the best description ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's both icky and puerile. I love it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just added the jizz-like substance. I don't think that's it. Right. I don't well, think that's canon. that's the canon. reason why Dan likes it. Yeah. That's homebrew. Yeah. That's what yeah. we call head canon. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's his fanfic. That's <laughs> fanfic. Dan writes so much Nurgle fanfic. <laughs> he does. I only wrote, I, I wrote some poems, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, you did. Oh, do you have one to share with us now? <laughs> You'll have to watch my video on the YouTube. Yeah, it's a oh. performance art. You really have to see it. I'm looking forward to it. It needs to be amazing. It's like there's a lot of physicality involved. (laughs) It's what I do. It's my brand of comedy. I'm doing it right now. It's actually spoken word. (laughs) Bloat drone. Why? Nurgle. Icky. End of poem. I'm pretty sure it's more in depth than that. And then everybody snaps. Is that what you do at the end of the poem? Is you say end of poem? (laughs) Yeah. End. 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 <laughs> no, it's Artie. It's Fiend. Elfine, yeah. Oh, Elfine. You turn to the bartender and you scream, shot! And that's the end of your poem. There we go. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have never played Warhammer 40K. What is Warhammer 40K? And why is it not 24K? <laughs> it might as well be, honestly. The 40K, I think, is totally arbitrary. 
I think the creators just said they wanted to come up with a year so far in the future. No one could complain that anything in it couldn't be real. So 40K represents the year 40,000. 40, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the year 40,000. They've been advancing the storyline lately to go off on a tangent. And it should push the year past 40,000. But they actually wrote it into one of the novels that the Primarch, the reborn Primarch, found a clerical error that actually affected the dates. So it gave them an extra couple hundred years to play with. I'm not joking. Ah. Not only was there a clerical error, there was a civil war fought over it in the Imperium to decide which calendar was correct. A big error in your favor. That's exactly (laughs) what it was. And he's like, sweet, now we don't have to change the name of the game. <laughs> it was pretty meta, honestly. You get bonus points for mixing in some Monopoly there. You know, did you hear yes. about this? What's yeah. that? They're the, making the a forty k branded yeah, Monopoly a 40K game. Forty k Monopoly. It's legit going to come out in a couple of months. I'm into Holy it. Crap. I'm not into it. I hate Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, I hate Monopoly too. I might play it's, a forty k version of it just for shits and giggles once. Instead of go to jail, yeah. does it say go to Nurgle? It probably should. <laughs> it should. It's pretty hard to describe the game to outsiders. I think we could probably all team up on this one, but it's a tabletop war game. No, man. (laughs) Yeah, Monopoly. Actually, that's pretty hard to describe, too. (laughs) You buy properties and then you unmake friends. Yeah, well, I mean, that's all accurate. That could be Well, I figure the descriptions could be very... Fairly similar mm-hmm. for both of them. You have pewter miniatures or miniatures in general that you roll dice and then move across a board. Ah, uh, there's th- a dog. Sometimes drawing. Yeah, there's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Chaos, you know, the the god of disease, if he will be one of the icons that you can move around the board. Yeah. If you could get me a pewter nurgling, like like a legit <laughs> looking one, like oh. Does anyone make nurgling plush dolls? Because I think that's a, a they really, really ought to. I don't market, know why they you know? don't. I would yeah. buy all of them. I love Nurglings. That's my favorite. Let's put it on the record right now. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> Writing it down now. Nurgling. Thank you. You're, You're not wrong about that. They're good. They're almost as good as Gratz. <laughs> almost. They're, they're like a similar thing. but yeah. They are. Like, yeah. I feel like fatter. we should name the podcast episode Nurgling. <laughs> so certainly Warhammer 40K is about miniatures, right? It depends who you ask, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... There's three aspects the to the hobby, really. It's For some people, it's all about building and collecting the models themselves. For other people, it's about painting, specifically. And for other people, it's about playing the game. And then for most players, it's really about all three. But there are people who sort of get more into one of those aspects than the others. And all of you paint your characters, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are a lot of gamers that don't, though. Like the hardcore tournament circuit, you can find people who don't pay models at all. They just pay people to paint their armies for them because they just want to play. Yeah, I was going to say, is there like some sort of painting service out there oh, where you can tons. send in your... Oh, there's tons, yeah. Get out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Commission it's big work. business. Yeah. How do I not do this for a living? Well, it's, it's, it, um, it's kind of a drag because then it's work yeah. instead of fun. <laughs> yeah. Your hobby becomes your job yeah. and it, it's... Mm-hmm. I, st- well, I had to stop because it was... Yeah, I'm doing a commission right now. It's probably the only one I'll ever do, but it's for a buddy of mine, so I feel like it's okay to try once. Uh, so what you don't want to do is stop and try to add up how much hours yes. you're oh, getting... Uh, like God, how much no. your money, how much money you're making per hour. Don't do that. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm actually recording all the time yeah. it takes me to do, but I'm going to charge them Duh, for it. Yeah, you're going to be like, this is the worst yeah. job I've ever Yeah, had. I'll make like $2 an hour. <laughs> like, 
You're going to be like, I might as well be assembling iPhones. It's yeah, I lost money. I lost oh, money. Yeah, I should put nets oh. under my windows just in preparation. <laughs> oh my God. Wow, Tim. What? You started it. Fair enough. When the sun rises in the game, like let's say you, you go through your turns or whatever, and it's time for the sun to come up, do you have to then repaint all your characters so that they have fresh new outfits to start today? No, they wear the same thing every single day. They probably yeah. stink like hell. Yeah. Oh God! Yeah, that's a tough life. Can you imagine the bo in a set of power armor? After every game, I dump my stuff into a big gin. <laughs> <laughs> See where I am? You have to have your characters painted in order to play. Like you just cannot play oh, without yeah. it. And unfortunately, I can't. I don't have the time, and it's it's a lot of work for me. It's it's. I guess you have to have a lot of practice to really make a good character that's painted and i'm not good at it at all some people really take pride in that other people just try to get the bare minimum done really i think it's okay either way it just depends how you like to play but i really love the game though but i mean i never i never play in shops i just play with my friends once in a great great while they're not really Mm -hmm. gonna gripe if i haven't painted my stuff but i like to paint so you know right is it mandatory for tournaments to have them painted yeah mostly almost all of them and you that's why people will pay someone minimum. else to do it. Three they don't color minimum. Yeah, the three color minimum is kind of the standard. Okay. Is that so that the referee can tell who's on which team? I, yes. I guess. I'm not sure what the logic is. I guess I can understand that, you know, Games Workshop Immersion, themselves bro. started doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the immersion kind of sucks if they only have three colors, but whatever. That's true. I guess it's like going to a LARP, but not dressing up for it. That's actually right. a pretty good comparison. It's like showing up mm-hmm. to a LARP, but just being covered completely in the silver duct tape, and that's it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's not like being naked. It's like, like it's being cool, covered in duct tape. Cool. <laughs> I like yeah. it. It just sounds like prom night. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast episode right there <laughs> I won't be on that one sign me up <laughs> Sophie will be on if you have furries yeah oh why fur what well I just threw it out there I didn't know what oh, you do I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what you do that was no secrets reaction. no secrets <laughs> yeah. Yeah. me like, thinks the lady doth protest too much name. are we not in the nest I thought we were in the nest <laughs> <laughs> So one of the main reasons I was really excited to have you guys on the show was because of Rainbow Warriors Project. Can you tell us more about that and how people can be a part of it? It started on Twitter. The Twitter community for 40K is actually pretty good. Um, There's a hashtag warmongers group that it's kind of the same usual characters. There's some churn, people come and go. But uh, for the most part, it's a pretty good crowd. Uh, What happened was over the years of playing, I've been playing since I was like 10 Um, but just recently the issues of like gender and race representation have gotten a lot more prominent as they have just in society in general. And I started reading a lot more articles online from women and people of color and queer folks just across the gamut of, you know, the 40 K hobby in particular and their experiences in it. And it sort of opened my eyes a little bit. I'm a a straight white guy, uh, but I feel pretty strongly, um, in inclusion, and just equality across the board. And when I read those stories, it made me realize that I had been experiencing a lot of privilege and going to these game stores, but I recognized the behaviors they were describing. And I realized that even though it didn't affect me directly, certainly it was keeping a lot of people out of the stores that I gamed in, whether people realized it or were doing it intentionally or not. So I started just kind of sharing some of these articles online with the Warmongers group 
and I had some pretty good conversations. Um, you know, some people were, uh, I guess you would expect them to be angry or upset or irritated that I was bringing it up. Um, a lot of people claim that they didn't have the same problems in England where a lot of the players are. That's not really true, but people say it a lot. And just in general, it started some pretty good conversations. And then there were a few of them that resonated more than others. The one that actually sparked the Rainbow Warriors project was about a Mexican-American dude who just kind of grew up in geek culture in general. And it wasn't specifically about war games, although he had played them. He basically made it sound like he quit playing war games partially because of the the community. That's Um, terrible. Yeah, it was. And he just talked about the choices he had to make and the fact that he never quite felt comfortable in Mexican culture because he was a geek and never quite felt welcome in geek culture because he was Mexican. So he's sort of caught in this, you know, rock in a hard place argument. His local store didn't sound like a great place. He heard, you know, some casual racism, some not so casual racism. So I posted that and it just sort of like, I don't know what it was about it. Maybe it was the way he talked about it, but I think it really struck a chord with a lot of gamers. Yeah. And, you know, it it was really, it was a well-written article and people just sort of reacted to it in a very natural way. And, you know, a few of us joined sort of a little Twitter group and just started chatting amongst ourselves. And that was really the genesis of it. Um, Dan, Sophie, there were a few other characters involved, um, but we all sort of just kind of, we're talking about how it'd be nice to do something about it. And we decided to paint a charity army where everyone donated the models and the time to paint the models. And then we, uh, we collected it all together and we're going to eventually raffle it off and give the proceeds to a uh, charity called Contessa, if you've ever heard of them. but No, I haven't. Who are they? They're pretty badass. Uh, they started out as a, well, maybe you guys could actually describe them better since you're working more closely with them now. Dan, do you want to describe what Contessa does? Sure, yeah. Well, I just wanted to jump back a few steps too about that particular article that got you and I talking, Jeff, was yeah. like... Uh, the main reason it resonated with me because I am Mexican. <clears throat> Wait, I what? am Mexican. Um, do, do you, are you feeling like you need to hang up now? Or Jeez, I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I'm kidding. I'm out. <laughs> I knew you'd be out, Sophie. <laughs> so as a, as a Mexican-American person and having grown up primarily in the South, uh, casual racism is just sort of a... Uh, just a regular reality and honestly like nothing really shocks me anymore when it comes to that kind of thing which you know is both uh sad and just sort of a indication of like where we are as as a nation and as people that you just kind of have to blow that sort of thing off and just be like uh that's just that's just how it is but that article meant yeah it it was a big deal because you know this guy was kind of having the same you know uh reactions to his uh, ethnicity as I've had growing up. And like I said, I was in the South and they're way more open about telling you that they don't like you because of what you look like. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that's how it is, man. But um, so Jeff and I got to talking about that and I was like, you know what? Like in 40K, they're space Vikings and they're space Romans and they're space, you know, there's even space Asians with like white scars if you look at the, you know, mm-hmm. the. Yeah. But there's no space Mexicans. And every time I say that, someone's like, well, what about Pedro Cantor? From yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> the it's one like one guy. dude. I was like, oh, awesome. One Mexican in the whole thing. Cool. <laughs> I guess I guess I should shut up and stop complaining. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's always like, well, you got Pedro Cantor. What more do you want? <laughs> what are you complaining about? <laughs> Why can't you be happy? You got one guy named Pedro. Shut up. <laughs> so... 
So uh, we kind of started talking about that, and um, I started playing back in Rogue Trader, which came out in like 88 or 89. Yep. I was like 12 or 13 years old, and there was a uh, centerfold basically in the book that had different um, Space Marine armors and chapters. And uh, there was a, a chapter in there called the Rainbow Warriors, and they kind of had disappeared from the fluff like completely. And so they kind of had like this sort of Aztec Mayan like background sort of thing. Well, not back so, then. You know, That's all a fan kind of thing. A, oh, sure, sure. But like from what we from what we were able to unearth, that it, yeah. it kind of morphed into this Aztec Mayan sort of thing, thanks to like fans and people not wanting that fluff to like go away. So we were like, well, why don't we do a Rainbow Warriors army? Because that's kind of like you know what we're talking about here is representing you know uh, cultures that aren't represented in 40k so that's how that got started yeah the name just kind of works on more than one level yeah yeah it definitely does and then jeff got to work uh finding you know uh organization to like you know raffle off and make some money for we hooked up with contessa and their main thing is promoting um uh, people of color uh women and uh people across the the you know gender spectrum sort of giving them a safe place to to game and, and to like grow in that community uh, without feeling like they're going to be bothered or attacked or that kind of thing. And that's kind of like really what we were aiming to do. That's so, incredible. Uh, yeah, they mostly do like role-playing games mm-hmm. and like board games and stuff. So they haven't done anything really with tabletop games. So they had been kind of talking about that um, amongst themselves. Like, how do we break into this tabletop gaming thing? Because that's something that, you know, people want, you know, everybody wants to enjoy. So what are we going to do? And we kind of came along and we're like, hey, we built this whole army for you. And they're like, <laughs> they're like great, perfect timing, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they actually invited us to go to Gen Con with them in their uh, their gaming area and run uh, games of 40K. And Sophie's going to be running uh, some painting classes. Another friend of That's ours, so Alexa, exciting. is going to be doing painting as well. Nice. So, yeah, we're going to be promoting 40K uh, with that community. Yeah. We're really excited. They do something called a con within a con, which I think is really neat because Gen Con is – you know, the biggest gaming convention in the world, I think, right? But, you know, there are, of course, situations where people don't feel comfortable or there have been harassment issues in the past. It's not the worst convention by any means, but it's it's still a convention and things happen. Yeah, it's bound to happen Yeah, Yeah, a convention. So many people. Yeah, and so they created basically a completely separate convention that's part of Gen Con, but it's in its own building, it's in its own area. And it's basically just a completely welcoming environment. And that's where all their games are played. It's really neat. So there are people who spend the entire convention just in that Contessa area. So how do you get to be a part of that? Well, first you have to build an entire army and paint it (laughs) and then give it to them. (laughs) You know, actually, um, they were really welcoming. And basically they said, we love any help that we can get. And, you know, this is something like the tabletop wargaming, particularly 40K and like Sigmar and things are something that they've been wanting to get into. So for us, it was just like a natural sort of like matchup. Like we got this wargaming knowledge. We're bringing all the stuff. I'm bringing like three tables worth of terrain, etc. But I think if you were to, you know, hit them up on Contessa Rocks, is it Contessa.rocks is their site? Um, One of those fancy uh, GTLDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then tell them that you're interested in helping out. I mean, it seems like um, they just love having volunteers and help, you know, promote what they do. Nice. Yeah, they have a whole part of the site that is like, do you want to volunteer or help out? So we did it the hard way. We spent all this time with an army. We could have just gone and filled out a form. (laughs) (laughs) 
This is so much better, though. <laughs> it is. You know, it was a no. pretty fun project, I think, for us all to work on. I was having a baby when it was all coming together, so I didn't get to do a lot of painting, but it was fun to watch Has all your the milk stuff. come in? Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I am almost back to normal. My body is ruined, though. Like, <laughs> I've been trying to do a lot of exercises to get things right down there. But, uh, yeah, no, it was just, it was a lot of fun to watch everybody you gotta, like, come together. You got to, like, and hold, like, for three seconds. Like, yeah, hold. Kegels. I got, like, a whole video yeah, series on Kegels. Kegels. Yeah. Oh, is that on YouTube also, next to the poetry? That's, I had to pay a lot of money for it. <laughs> Ooh, that's an idea for the next video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there you go, go man. Sophie, I think you were doing most of the management of the Wayne, or the Army portion of it. How many people participated yeah. we had 15 people um 15 artists total including um ourselves and i believe we i'd have to double check the number as far as value wise i believe msrp if you were to go to games workshops website and buy it i think it was around two thousand dollars worth of miniatures which is a, a lot, lot but the painting was worth uh, probably um, even more than that I'm sure. Oh, yeah. The painting was well worth. I think we estimated around four or five, didn't we? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's been, yeah, easily, if, easily. Just because, I mean, the, the painters that we got were just awesome. phenomenal. Yes, you absolutely. Know, yeah, painters in, in the miniature. Well, and community. some of them even came from England, too, right? From the UK? Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. There's a few, yeah. Yeah. And if you're on Twitter, check out hashtag Rainbow Warriors Project, and you can see the finished product. And also nice. the process. Yep. And it'll be at, on display at Gen Con. Yes, it to will. See in yep. Yeah, where can people find you at Gen Con if they want to see it? So we will be in the actual, I think it's called like a Lucas Oil Stadium or something like that. It's across the street con from within the a main con convention part. center. Yep. Yeah, so they have part of the stadium across the street from the main convention center where they set up all their gaming area. And we will be there with a couple of tables of 40K. And I'll be running demos all day. Sophie will be doing painting. And hopefully the army will be displayed prominently somewhere around there. Yeah, it should be really cool. I really wish I could go. <laughs> Plus, now there's going to be a table of Monopoly. <laughs> I would so run that Monopoly game. <laughs> no, actually, I think it would be cool to go anyway. I'm a big board gamer and role player as well. So for me, I think I could easily spend, you know, Gen Con just hanging out with Contessa folks. Sounds like the place to be. I don't think I'm going to sleep at all during Gen Con. Yeah, you shouldn't. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to be exhausted by the time I get back. Yeah. I'm going to do vacation from the vacation. You got cons within cons, <laughs> vacations and vacations. It's crazy. Plans no, within plans. <laughs> There's probably some kind of inception pun, but I'm not going to make it. Bum. <laughs> the entire soundtrack. Bum. <laughs> now, you had mentioned warmongers, and I do see the hashtag a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that? It's a totally informal group, but it's just a bunch of 40K people. That's just the hashtag that we use so we can find each other. Yeah. Oh, well, I cool. found that it's not only 40K, it's also Sigmar. There's that's like, true. pretty much any game yeah. that's like painting miniatures yeah. of any sort. Yep, that's uh, a good point. Warmongers yep. hashtag. Yep. Cool. But it's awesome. Good community. I was on Reddit for a very long time, and this community's way better. So I want to switch things up here a little bit. During your most recent YouTube playthrough, it took 16 minutes and 30 seconds for you to complete your first turn. Is that normal for a Warhammer game? <laughs> Um, okay, so check this out. This is some research. That, Holy crap. I, I don't think we were expecting this actually, level of scrutiny. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it because I'm going to explain something to you right now. Oh. 
That video is sped up, so whenever we're doing the commentary, we're actually watching the video at two times the speed. So actually, that turn was like 32 minutes long. <laughs> so within Warhammer, there's different factions that you can choose, and some have more shooting, some are more close combat oriented, some are more psyker oriented. Uh, the gentleman that I was playing against, a good friend of mine named Brandon, has all shooting. Not only does he have shooting, he has a multiple special rules that allow him to re-roll like, things that he misses, re-rolls things that he doesn't wound, re-roll everything. Yeah, so right. it takes him forever to take his turn. <laughs> <laughs> it takes so long for him to take his turn that I literally fucking forget like what I am doing. <laughs> and then when it's my turn, I'm like, what? oh, what's going on here? Oh, it's my turn. And my turn takes like 20 minutes, like literally. like It goes so fast. Yeah, and some armies have way more models than other ones too, so... Absolutely. For some people, they like they move right. all their models, and in 15 minutes later, they're like, "I'm good." Someone else that plays a horde <laughs> army is like 45 minutes in, and they're just getting started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, it takes forever. But some armies, like you know, they they excel at that kind of thing. So you're going to build it to to its strengths. Yeah. Which is like taking tons of shooting, and then you just spend 30 minutes rolling dice. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I really love about the game. It's just its complexity. Like there really is rules for everything. Uh, even and there's machines and all kinds of animals that you can ride oh, and yeah. gigantic figurines like it's really impressive what they have and it's an expensive hobby a lot of people don't realize oh how God. expensive that it really is <laughs> i mean compared like, to some hobbies it's maybe not so bad i mean i'd argue video games are probably just as bad it's exceeded my meth habit <laughs> 100 bucks a month easy I think the start in buy-in is expensive, yeah. uh, more expensive. But um, as someone who's p- gone through multiple hobbies, including like Magic oh, the Gathering, that was my worst mm, one, Magic the Gathering, I spent it. way more money on that than I ever did any sort of miniature game And then they made ever. your cards irrelevant um, like two months later. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. Um, in the grand scheme of things, I think that... Uh, Warhammer's either on par or it might be just a little cheaper just because I mean once you get that 2000 20, I'll even say let's say 3000 points because that gives you some yeah. options then you can just kick back like you don't need to keep on oh there's a new set that's out like and so now I need to yeah, go but buy like we all do you know, that five boxes of booster packs <laughs> a week we do that's we the problem do. is everything is so pretty we can't help but buy all the new shit and then never paint I've it been very good I haven't bought anything like that's that. one of the things either, they don't actually. like about magic is that like your older cards may not be as good with the newer cards that come out as so you're saying with this game even if you had like an older army it would still be good yeah and there's actually like there's a lot of cultural you know status involved with older armies too some people love that dan's got some nice old Mm -hmm. models that are pretty cool i have stuff from when i was like 12 years old yeah it's nice to see it on tables i wish i did what are some of the armies from way beyond before they're so the same ones, a, really. A they just look called different. no. Let's talk. Let's talk about squats. Oh, let's. Why you gotta talk oh, about God. squats? Why you gotta? I mean, these no, people don't squats, understand God, squats. <laughs> <laughs> We're skipping leg day. <laughs> he just goes right for it. All right, all right. Go all ahead right. and squats. explain squats. So, so squats was like the space dwarves, basically. So everything 40k had when they originally came out in Rogue Trader was like the space version of what's in fantasy. Right. So you had space elves, and they called it Eldar, and you had like space, you know, barbarian guys, and those were like uh, the space marines and whatever, and space orcs are just orcs but spelled with a K. <laughs> and so they also had <laughs> space dwarves, which were amazing. They had an awesome line of dwarf models with laser guns, and they rode tric- tricycle motorbikes and. 
Like they had all they were, they were cool like Harley shit. dudes. It was ridiculous. There was nothing cool about hey. it. Hey, push your mouth, young lady. They were. <laughs> they amazing. rode tricycles. Tell me how cool you can be riding a fucking tricycle. Uh, pretty <laughs> cool if you have a giant beard. It's no. even better if you win the game with tricycles. That's right. Right. But somewhere along the line, they just basically disappeared. Like as the game went on, and they started like developing more and more armies and different models, they just stopped making space dwarfs. They stopped making squats. I believe the uh, the actual canon is they eaten got by eaten, uh, eaten by yeah. Tyranids. Yep, Tyranids. It's a lame excuse, man. Destroyed the whole thing. It is a lame excuse. They ate the entire, except for one, because there's a yeah, there's a at least one. Yeah. They're back. They They're back. The squat clock is over. <laughs> <laughs> so he just has to find another squat so they can make more squats. Right. They. I. Do we know how they reproduce for sure? Um. Banging? I, I would assume they're mammals. Banging, he says. <laughs> Banging. Yeah, that's a good guess. Yeah, I was trying to Not be romantic. Get technical with your terminology. I think it's more akin to the fetid blow blow drones, uh, semen <laughs> spitting that they do. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, if you were gonna recommend an army for beginners, what army would you recommend? The Space Marines. I would do. It's just such a great variety yeah. of models. Just the vin- I yeah, they're they're boring as hey. shit, but it, it's just No, Space no, Marines are boring no. as shit. But it's pretty yes, don't fucking argue with me. They're boring as shit. But it, it's kind of um it's like if no if someone hasn't had ice cream ever, you're gonna give them vanilla, just at least to start. And then and then you can give them the good flavors like, you know, orcs and nerds. That's know, a mixed metaphor guard. right there. It is a mixed metaphor. Try the You've never had orc it's ice delicious. Cream? Oh Christ! <laughs> so the gift that keeps on giving that joke. I th- Space Marines are—they have like easy to build kits. So They're if easy. people yeah. want a cheaper price point just to try it out, that's kind of a no-brainer right there. Um, yeah. And they'll always have support yeah. because they're the they poster are boys. The- yeah, they're the poster boys of the game. Yeah, and they're—I mean, frankly, they're easy to paint. They're just basically armor plates, so they're very simple and quick to paint. Yeah, and they're easy to play on the table as well. I mean, Are they? they? Just have strong rules. Yeah, they have strong rules. You and... just stand them there and shoot. Yeah, they're tough. Yeah, they're tough and they're strong. <laughs> <laughs> she said they were boring, and you argued with her. <laughs> well, I never said it was fun to play. <laughs> so basically, and this is going back to my first question: when I asked you what Warhammer 40k is, basically it's the Baskin Robbins of Alien Seed, is what you're telling me, and you just have to start with the most basic level of ice cream and work your way up. <laughs> yeah, but nobody does. I mean, a yeah. lot of people start with Space Marines, but there are people who get really into one of the factions from day one. And they, oh, they yeah. sort of, they design the armies with a different appeal, you know, for different folks. Like, there's one that's very anime-inspired. Uh, there's some that are, you know, very clearly evil-looking, if people are into that. Um, kind of heavy metal stylings. So there's lots of different entry points depending on where people are coming from. There's no reason that Someone would have to start with one, but if someone had no preference whatsoever, it's easy to recommend Space Marines because there's just so much variety. Right. My first two were the was the Screaming Banshees and the Harley Quinn. The Howling Banshees, my first yeah. Two. Yeah, yeah, I mean Eldar yeah. have always been the cool. Eldar, Eldar's good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're just fun, and they really, you know, they take the elven tropes and sort of run with it, and they've kind of over the years have turned into something a little bit beyond just space elves. But yeah. yeah, they're they're cool. They're neat models. Even though the range is old, it was designed by Jess Goodwin, who's 
just everything he does is amazing. So even though they're some of the oldest models, they still look amazing on the table. With Warhammer 40k, is there a huge Kickstarter community? No. Really? It's all just like everything is official except for like some game accessories and things like that. It's not like board games. There's one oh, company. So there's that makes not all like this. a lot of like books that people are creating for it with new armies and things. They like do that. all that officially. There's a whole publishing wing. Games Workshop does it all. They have their their own um, book line called the Black mm-hmm. Library. All the fiction comes from that. I mean, they're a fairly big company. Yeah, they they just produce themselves. Yeah, there are video games that are produced on license, but that's about the only product that they license out. Right. They do license out board games, I guess, and role playing games. They strike me as the apple of tabletop gaming. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably fair. We are Games yeah. Workshop. Resistance yeah. is futile. It's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of marketing. They do make a quality product, but they're not the only game in town. They're just by far the most popular. So how are the, the Warhammer video games compared to the actual tabletop game? Uh, it's pretty hit or miss. <laughs> There's nothing out there that you can download uh, on your PC per se that's like, oh, uh, granted there's simulations that are aren't, legitimate games but there's nothing that you can say oh uh, this company came out with a game that's licensed and it's just like playing the tabletop they're all differences like there's an rts or real-time strategy game dawn of war is probably the most that one's quite popular um yeah other than that there's first there's shooters um there's one that's kind of I guess, would you call Space Marines sort of like Dynasty Warriors? Yeah, it's like a third-person action like game. Third person. Yeah. Hack and it's awesome. It, was it so is so good. good. Oh, it was such a good game. Dawn of War that and game. that Space Marine game were the good ones, yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot of junk out there, but Space Marine in particular was just so well yeah. done that I think most yeah. fans of 40K just all agree that that game was just superb. Probably the closest thing that you'll get to actual tabletop would probably be the most recent, um, the Warhammer Open War, but that's fantasy. And I haven't played them. This is only my guessing because I know what the Open War line is like, where it's more like rank and file Mm -hmm. uh, gameplay. But that's probably the closest you'll get to an actual two armies going at it on a tabletop. But the great thing about all those games is like once you play like uh, Dawn of War or whatever, like you know all the lore, you know the fluff, you know all the characters. So if you like go for... I met people that have played Dawn of War and then like went over to the tabletop because they thought it was so cool and they already knew everything about it, you know. It's like you get in and you learn it and then you go to the dark side and play the plastic almost like they did that on purpose. (laughs) I'm a uh, part-time employee at the Games Workshop store here, and um, they... <laughs> they, uh, I get all the time because uh, I, you know, approach them and ask them if they're familiar with the hobby, and they're like, yeah, but you know, on PC. And uh, the first thing I, I'm, I'm like, oh, Donna War, and they're like, yep. And then we start talking about that, and then they get into it because of that game, which is cool. It was that always was cool. fun, yeah. you know. Oh yeah. Actually, it was the Donna War that got me back into the hobby after I took a break for a while, because I, I quit uh, briefly, like right after high school, I think. I can't even picture that. Yeah. That sounds like such a sad part of your life. It was. I actually threw away oh, a lot of very valuable books no. that I thought I would never want again, and I have regretted it ever since. But it was Dawn of War that what got me back into it. Where did you graduate to where you could um, 
being long enough to quit. Just destroy literature. What do you mean? I mean, I started when I was 10. So I guess at that time I would have been playing until I was, you know, 18 or so. So a good eight years. And then I took just a couple of years off. It was right around when like Magic the Gathering had gotten popular Mm -hmm. and the game stores were all full of like power gamers. And I I wasn't interested in that. So I thought I was done with it. But it was the lore that brought me back in. Oh, I was... You know, Dawn of War, like like Dan was just saying, it's got all this great lore and Sophie too. Like, you get into the background, and I was like, God, I miss this. You know, and that's yeah. I just started buying models again, and I've been hooked ever since. Are there support groups for people with all-consuming Warhammer addictions, such as yourselves? <laughs> oh God, we all enable each other so bad. There really should be. <laughs> like people will post yeah. online all the time, that's like, funny. Oh, I'm thinking about starting a new army, and they're trying to get people to talk them out of it, and it never works. Everyone's <laughs> like, Oh yeah, that's a badass idea. Do it. Yeah, we're we're terrible. We're the worst enablers. In all honesty, I started playing again in 2010, something like that, because I also took a break. Um, so this is like like the support group angle. Like I used to drink a whole lot, and I got you know I got sober in 2010, and then when I started playing 40k again, it was like this whole other like thing that I could put all my terrible addictive and energies money. into. <laughs> like if you're too broke to drink, and all my money. <laughs> Yeah, like exactly. So like it was therapeutic in that manner, but like it's it's definitely an addiction cuz you'll see people just buying the brand like whatever comes out they buy it. The whole But I mean it's also a very social a hobby and it really does scratch some of the same itches. You know, instead of going to clubs, you can hang out with your friends and shoot the shit and you know, just like any tabletop gaming in general, it's all very social. So, do you guys play other games? I know, like Sophie, you were talking about maybe doing a Kingdom Death stream. Oh yeah, I play Kingdom Death. Um, that's really I only play the two, and really, I don't. I'm not huge into playing Warhammer. I'm more on the the hobby and painting side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do play. I think I've played like almost like half a dozen games this year <laughs> like which is a lot for me like it, i i've played a total i i've played less than 10 games of 40k my entire life um and six of them have been this year oh, so that's like <laughs> yeah no i'm like i really ramped up my gaming with it that. um um but yeah lately i've been getting big into um kingdom death and there will be some uh game streaming very shortly probably uh probably soon after gen con um but nice. uh, those are the main two that i play that's exciting do you have a lot of characters for the king of death um the satan I twins have... the wet nurse <laughs> no i don't have them they're not those are just kind i'm of just teasing you art pieces. Yeah. <laughs> me and me and tibbs get at it because he's like there's so many lewd stuff i'm like but it's not I, for the I'm game not it. i don't <laughs> like it <laughs> oh, I love it. I love how like unsettling creepy a lot of it, it is. is. And it's an incredibly um, difficult game as well. Yeah, um we played this we play every Friday at this point because all my friends are addicted to it. I was the MVP twice in a row. We put we did two calendar years. Essentially, when you play a calendar year, I don't know if you know how the gameplay mm-hmm. goes, but um, you do your settlement phase. You hunt if you have to hunt something, and then you do the showdown, which is the actual fighting what you're going after. In both, uh, we played two calendar years, so so two fights. And in both, I was the MVP. Uh, the first game, I was the last person standing, and I managed, before it could turn on me and get any hits, I managed to, to do the last two damage to it to kill it. <laughs> Bomb. 
Yeah, no, like huge muscle flexing on this end. Big, big um, energy. And then, and then the next one, uh, I got the killing blow again after it had killed two people and was going to kill the third. It's so much fun. It's one of those games where it's like overly difficult, but because. So characters really don't mean a whole lot into it because you have a settlement and your settlement's made up of, you know, 8 to 10, maybe, you know, up to 15 people or so. So if a character dies, you grab someone else from the settlement and it looks like they're going out the next time. So really the only time you lose is when you have no one left in the settlement. So it's this kind of game where, like, the characters are more or less throwaway. You get some sentimental, sentimental attachment to mm-hmm. it, but otherwise, it's kind of just like, oh, they they died. That was kind of a cool encounter. Now uh, here's my new one, and they now they're going out. Yeah, I really enjoy the game. I think it's amazing. It's a super expensive game, but I I love oh, yeah. playing it. But then again, you're getting so much quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, that box set is. Over four times what you get from uh, the uh, starter for um, Warhammer 40k, and that that their starter box is 160, right? And you don't get near the, I mean, and that's a good start. Not to, I'm not. You know, oh yeah, trying it to is shit a good start. That. Yeah, like the, but you the, can see uh, the difference. The 40k starter set, you get a lot of value in that. You get a full hardbound rule book to it. It's amazing. But for four hundred dollars, what you get with the Kingdom Death box, it's just un—it's it, unrealistic. It's a quality box. It is. I feel like you're being lewd there. And the Kickstarter no, was amazing. How many people were in on that? Yeah, it was great. I, I wish I had gotten in on it. Um, so my Thursday at Gen Con will start with me getting in line to go there so i can try and buy anything that they have there because that's the other thing that really is um hard about getting into kingdom death and missing all of the kickstarters is most of this stuff is sold out so i have probably a quarter of the expansions for it so i'm gonna be like this is gonna be my first opportunity to just throw a whole bunch of money at my uh my kingdom death problem and hope that i can uh fill the gap before the next stuff comes up fill the hole inside your heart that causes (laughs) these spending habits it'll never be (laughs) (laughs) there's a few youtube um people i forget um there's a big one that does it is it beast of war or oh something? maybe um they do yeah um but uh ours will have a lot less um uh professionalism <laughs> and a lot more drinking probably well, that sounds better already <laughs> I yeah, mean, right? you know kingdom death i usually just see the models i don't think i've ever seen a game of it played I occasionally see people posting pictures online but it's always like those starter missions with the white lion or whatever I've never seen like a real stream where people went much further than that. But people yeah, paint the models yeah, like crazy. They're big at competitions yeah. and stuff. Well, they're so detailed. It's it's crazy how detailed they are. And the story is always different. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in terms of other games, I play a ton of war games. Or sorry, board games. Um, and I'm also in a couple of regular role-playing games. I play D&D and we've played the 40K role-playing games a few times. There's a new one coming out that I'm going to be starting to run when that's out. Uh, Gen Con actually is when the book is going to drop for Wrath and Glory. 
Um, but yeah, my wife and I nice. actually play board games, but she won't have anything to do with 40K. She's sick of the setting. <laughs> I talk about it so much that she just won't have anything to do with it. <laughs> but I did get her to play Space Hulk quite a bit, and I think that's probably what ruined it. But Ooh, that is a game. damn good game, uh, regardless of whether you play you know, 40K itself. It's just so well-respected in the board game community. So bad at that. Yeah, everyone is. That's why it's great. It's so hard. <laughs> it doesn't matter what side I play. I always yeah. lose. It's brutal. It is a hard game. That was like my first introduction to Warhammer like universe. Is, was Space uh, Hulk? Space Hulk. Really? Yeah. For yeah. a lot of people, it was like Hero Quest. I know I had that when I was younger, but mine was mm-hmm. Hero. But Quest. yeah, for me, it was you know just the the fantasy role play way back in the day is what I got into first because my older brothers played D and D, so and so did I a little bit. And then when we saw the Warhammer stuff, I actually was in England on a trip and we found the Warhammer fantasy role play, and it kind of went from there. And that was like around the same time that Rogue Trader came out. So I got that right away. I started about an hour ago with your YouTube channel. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent, excellent. Dan, what else do you play? Anything? Do you uh, play the Star Wars games? I play games? everything. Uh, I play... Um, imp- I got what's that? Imperial Assault. I got Armada. I got Star Wars X-Wing, TMG. Yeah. I also play Dystopian Wars. I play War Machine, Hordes. My God. Um, Sigmar, I also play um, Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion role-playing, and also a Dark Heresy campaign. Oh, and about to start. Yeah, we're about to start this new Star Trek game, uh, role-playing game too, which I'm super stoked about. Oh, cool. oh nice. Because I fucking love Star Trek. I know you do. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted that to be known. We don't hold Are you going to play Wrath and Glory when it comes out with your group? Uh, I'll probably check it out. Like we just started a Dark Heresy campaign, so yeah. we'll see how that the, how that goes. But I'm interested. You know, I like different rule sets and trying to see like what uh, what they do better than other ones. Yeah, I got the the free RPG Day booklet that came out. It's mm-hmm. got sort of the stripped down version of the core core rules. It's pretty different. The cool uh, it's core rules, all based on a uh, pool of six sided dice, and, and then it uses a lot of points. Like you have different like types of points. Wow. Those are some weird dreams. Wow. But yeah, I don't know. I think I'm pretty excited about it. I have a ton of the old books too. We played <laughs> Rogue Trader and Dark Heresy, and then we picked up even some of the other stuff too. But nice. Um, yeah, I have to admit, painting Star Trek ships sounds like a wonderful uh, hobby. Well, it'll be gray. <laughs> Actually, you know what, Chris? I think you would really like X Wing, honestly. Yeah, X Wing TMG. Yeah, people love that game. game. Yeah, I think you would really like that. The strategy in it is pretty cool. The problem is I have a massive ego, and when I start using the force <laughs> in the game, I then want to use it in real life, and that is very disconcerting for the other people who are around me. Yeah, we've had to kick him out of a couple conventions. Yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, the force was not with him. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a fantastic interview. I want to thank all of you for being here. Uh, before we go, a couple of notes. First of all, we were talking about Monopoly earlier. There may be some of you out here who don't know what that is. Uh, it's basically Egyptian rat screw, but with little buildings. No, it's not. Uh, the second thing that is game. that you may have heard me clicking during the course of my, my mouse was clicking. Uh, that's because I was updating my 401k, listening to these guys talk mm. about how much pewter they use. I now have purchased $20,000 in pewter futures. Oh, shit. That's Sophie's fault. They're actually all plastic now. Yeah, they're all plastic now. Wow, wow. Hurry up, back out, back out. I thought you were doing echolocation. Now, the real question is, was this all a complicated <laughs> inception where we were trying to make you buy all those Peter stocks? Wow. <laughs> I'm going to mute that noise now because <laughs> no, no, it's a copyright no. infringement and I don't want to get nailed. <laughs> I'll change it a little bit. It Blank. worked. 
<laughs> and let me just end this interview with a spoken word poem. <laughs> Chaos, bloat drone, Nurgle, Kegel, end of poem. <laughs> Nurgle, Kegel, that sounds like a great band. <laughs> Thank you, Dist- Dist- I'd go to that Thank show. you, Detroit. We've been Nurgle Kegel. <laughs> <laughs> it's promo time. Hey, CA. Yes, Cruz. Where the hell are my keys? How should I know? You're good at this sort of thing. You play that drunken bar game where you find the toaster in the tree. You know I can't see you, right? Focus. Did you look on the key rack? I did. Not there. Did you look on your front door? I did. Not there. Did you check in the fridge? What? <laughs> do you want help or do you want explanations? Uh, let me check. <sighs> Two hours later. I did. Not there. Are they around your neck on a tabletop loot lanyard that's supposed to be for a convention ID badges, but instead is holding your keys because you insist on breaking the rules? Oh, yeah. Listeners, our presenting sponsor this week, Tabletop Loot, has just added a brand new product, a lobster claw badge lanyard, which Griswick, for some reason, is using to keep his keys in plain sight. They were right there the whole time. Tell me that's not convenient. Tabletop Loot, loot for every table. And now... Back to our show. I apologize to all of you who are fans of Monopoly. Now, moving on. (laughs) And now, onto our new segment. That's right. (laughs) Doot, 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 (laughs) doot. Know what I like to do, Grizz? What's that? I like to have sex on the beach. Wow. Oh, my. (laughs) You're welcome. This is an open space. You are, it's, you're in the nest. You can share. (laughs) There are people in this world who believe that if you have sex on a sand dune, that you can actually break the sand dune. There aren't many of them. In fact, most of them are part of one agency, the Flemish Agency for Nature and Woodland which this week scored a political victory when they were able to have the one and only nude beach in Belgium shut down. Oh, Oh, bummer. Bummer. Sorry, guys. (laughs) My bad. The beach is within very close proximity to the nesting grounds of a crested lark, uh, which is treasured by the state, uh, known as Galerdia cristata. And uh, that particular lark is concerned, if you will, by large noises, deep, thrusting. Dune sex. Dune sex, yes. The lark apparently becomes very upset at dune sex and uh, nudists being naked. Of course, as we all know, uh, will just burst into sexual intercourse at any random time because, of course, they're naked. Oh. It's not that, it you know, that would violate the rules of nudism or anything like that. Or if you asked any nudist anywhere in the world, they would tell you that that's a complete bag of shit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, apparently in Belgium, they believe this. So sadly, that is the end of the last of the nude beaches oh, in sad. Belgium. That, it breaks my heart. Well, at least it doesn't break the dunes. So guess what, Grizzwigs? What's that? Spontaneous combustion. Poof. 
It's a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. <laughs> I found out the other day when I was trying to buy chips for my tacos that apparently <laughs> they were a little extra crispy and I wasn't allowed to buy them. Uh-oh. Yes, normally it's the salsa that has the heat and not the tortilla. <laughs> but sadly, in East Austin this week, it was the other way around. A tortilla chip factory decided to experiment with a new way to dispose of their waste. Uh, as you can imagine, tortilla chips that are uh, you know, burned in the oven or in some other way distasteful have to be disposed of. And so normally you just would put those chips into a box or some sort of bag. What's in the box? But the problem is because they have a large surface area, they take up a lot of room. Uh, in the grand scheme of things. And so uh, this particular company was attempting to consolidate their disposals in order to save a little bit of cash. So they ground down the unused tortillas to a fine powder, put it into a box, sat it out back. Uh, At which point, and now there's a little bit of science involved here, flour, anything that has been ground down into a dust can explode. Um, flour dust is actually more explosive than coal dust. So, yes. I didn't know that. There actually is an industry built around protecting flour mills from spontaneous combustion. And they have special machines that have to be, you know, uh, uh, configured in just the right way and wet down in certain ways in order to prevent (laughs) an explosion inside of the factory. Well, apparently this tortilla chip company has never heard of this. And so they sat the box out back on July the 12th, and the entire thing went up in flames. Uh, At which point, the fire department came out, put it out, and told them, listen, it's not the way to do this. Go back to your old way of disposing of chips. But apparently, that message was not received. And so on July the 15th, the fire department came back out to the exact same factory to put out a second flower dust fire. Fire. Flower dust fire. Fire. Why can't I say that? Say that five times. My fast. God, I'm having Flipper. a stroke. Yay. Oh, now I need 911. A flower dust <laughs> fire. There. So I've been going on some really bad dates lately, and I've been feeling kind of down about it. Do you happen to have any stories, Dad? No. What about you, Grizz? I could rustle one up for you. Tell us about that. I've had some bad dates. I'm sure we've all had some bad dates. But a woman in Tennessee named Faith Pugh has had the worst date of all time, in my estimation. Wow. It all started off very basic. She made a date on the day when it was supposed to happen. The gentleman showed up. He did not have a car, however, although in Memphis, that's not so unusual. It's a city. Most people get around via cab or train or whatever. So she decided, well, we'll take my car. So they went off to dinner, and on the way, uh, they stopped off for gas. And while they were there, the gentleman in question, a man named Kelton Griffin, asked her uh, if, while she was in paying for the gas, if she could buy a cigar for him. And so she went in, purchased the cigar, and when she came out, her car was gone, as was Griffin, because he stole it. And so she called her mother on the phone Aww. and asked her to uh, come and pick her probably. up. <laughs> <laughs> My car. <laughs> so her mother came to pick her up 
And when she arrived, they used a GPS, which was on her phone. Oh, it's funny snap. how you say it. You make it sound like it's prehistoric, like a GPS. This <laughs> <laughs> like, ain't the, the old-fashioned day. days when you had to round yourself up a posse. No, you, you got this, some newfangled phone stuff. <laughs> Track down your car. Well, what's a what's a map? <laughs> yes, to hell with that. <laughs> So when her mother came to pick her up, uh, they used GPS to track down the car. Now, her car didn't actually have any sort of technology that would have allowed that. Instead, her car had a passenger. Because it turned out that Kelton Griffin went and picked up Pew's god sister, whose name is being withheld because she's underage. Kelton Griffin stole Pew's car and picked up her underage god sister... And took her to a drive-in. At which point, Pew's god sister texted Pew and said, Hey, I'm on a date with this great guy. And then Pew figured out where she was using GPS. And a Facebook app, which shall remain nameless as well. That is so messed up. Oh, wow. That is one bad date. That is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. Oh, (laughs) We call that the Mercedes Benz. Ooh, oh, I get it. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you this next night out is going to top that, though. Oh, this is good, Dave Grant. You ready? Oh, oh, Are you ready for it? You know what one of my favorite things is? <laughs> what is one of your favorite things? Articles that don't have links to them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did I forget a link? <laughs> Damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize you were going to make this personal. <laughs> well, apparently, she just did. <laughs> there is a gentleman in Thailand in a town called Ratchaburi who went out one night to a karaoke bar. And he had himself a little too much to drink, a little too much fun. You know how you do. The next morning, he woke up with a splitting headache. Uh, literally, in this case, as he had <laughs> injured his head. Oh, no. Seriously. He was also bleeding from the ear. Uh, He was in the emergency room. Oh, I can see why the link wasn't posted. Yes. And the doctors... The horror, the horror. ...told him that his penis was gone. Whoa, whoa. That escalated. (laughs) They have not been able to uh, get all of the details on what happened, but a black pickup truck with no license plates showed up at the hospital opened the back tailgate, dumped him out on the ground, and drove away. We need we need to create a story based on this. A D&D, a D, some kind of a D&D story. About a penis? And yeah, a penis. Session so, one. Yes, yeah, session one. Fine suits schlong. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm all about this. Is it a, is it a, is it a swan schlong? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like the way this podcast is going. Me too. Well, now we're going to knock your socks off because mm-hmm. it's time for our brand new segment, Tea Time. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. That you get to be a part of our new segment. It's, no one's ever been this, a part of this, this before. This is Thread Raider history. You should feel so special. Very special. I'm honored. It is our new segment where we check the so-called facts on the underside of a popular beverage tea brand. Uh, who shall remain nameless because they haven't paid us. Oh. <laughs> I think everyone knows. <laughs> At this point. Dak knows my drinking Yeah, Dak habits. knows what's up. 
And he knows what's up. He knows what's I in the do. tea. What is in the tea? <laughs> what's, what's under the lid? <laughs> this segment seeks to prove the axiom that 20% of all the facts that were true on the day you were born will be disproven by the day you die. Dun, dun, dun. It was deep. <laughs> I will read each fact one by one. Your choices are true, false, or huh? I'll keep score and then declare a winner at the end. And I will have you know, I did not cheat. I did not look at the caps that he selected. And I did not look up whether they are true or false. So I know I may seem like, you know, the Snapple savant, but (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) All right. Snipple fact number 660. (laughs) No, you have to stop now. (laughs) You did not say... Unnamed tea brand. (laughs) I did not... I didn't that's say unnamed tea brand. No, you said Snipple. <laughs> yes, <fact>. that's correct. <laughs> no, shut your face. When, when they pay us, then they can have the rights <laughs> to their own facts. We cannot call them Snipple on the podcast <laughs> and expect them to pay in the future. <laughs> this is like a very mild extortion. <laughs> what about Snapcap? Is that fine? Yes, I like that. Snapcap fact number 660. <laughs> Snapcaps with chaotic anarchy. <laughs> Snap cap. I have to replace this. Hold on. <laughs> Snap cap tea time. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. <laughs> I can't believe you said snipple. It totally changing threw me off. No, right. I don't know how to function. <laughs> Snap cap fact number 660. The strike note of the Liberty Bell is E flat. True. Did I win? I say truth. Did, did I get it? I think it's true. It's not really a how quickly can you get it in there. Oh. <laughs> No, it's not. Oh. This is not a game show. I thought it was quickie snap cap time, but I guess not. <laughs> you guys didn't uh, need to discuss that or anything with just two trues? I think so. It doesn't seem like an A. Or <laughs> <laughs> really any other letter that seems appropriate. So I think it'd be pretty sharp of me to say that it, that it would be oh, true. Oh, God help us. I mean, how did they know? I mean, seriously, who who says, you know what? I want to know. <laughs> well, that's that's a good question. Uh, so, and this might flavor so. your answer. Um, a strike note is something that the manufacturer of the bell um, or anyone can uh, determine by simply striking it uh, and then recording the <laughs> really? note. That note has a frequency, and the frequency determines what that note is. Wait. So, did we win? Oh, sticking with true? Um, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm all in. Okay. The answer is false. <gasps> and here's why. When the bell arrived in Philadelphia in August of 1752, it was cracked on its very first striking. It was repaired on multiple occasions by a company called Pass and Stowe, who you might remember from the movie National Treasure. Which is a good movie, by the way. Yeah, totally. Totes. The Liberty Bell was cracked beyond repair on February the 23rd, 1846, and the clapper was immobilized in 1915 for the express purpose of making sure that the bell wasn't completely torn to shreds by the vibrations of striking it. However, Philadelphia Mayor Bernard Samuel smacked the bell with a mallet seven times on D-Day in 1944 for a podcast some sort of recording that he was having that recording still exists and so i took it and brought it into audacity isolated the sound from the bell and ran it through a spectrometer and it turns out that the current bell as it stands and i would like to remind you that the fact said the strike note of the liberty bell 
is E flat, the current bell rings at 386 hertz, a distinct difference from the 440 hertz of E flat. 386 makes it a middle G. Interesting. So what was it before it cracked? Well, probably E flat. <laughs> I trust them. In 1752, they didn't really lie a lot. But we they don't didn't. trust our snap caps. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is the most persnickety game show in the world. Myth busted. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What's the next one? Snapcap fact number 142. Ooh. Hawaii is the only U.S. state never to report a temperature of zero. I feel like it would be false. But <laughs> I feel like others have experienced it. I mean, I always want to look at Hawaii as always being tropical paradise. So it's always hard to say that it's going to be cold. Watch it be that one time there was this winter and they reached zero and then we're... <laughs> you know what? <laughs> ju ju just because I'm going to say it's true. No, now you're on the other side. The answer is true. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go back. What happened? Don't talk to me. <laughs> 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 the lowest temperature ever recorded in Hawaii was a frigid 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 10 degrees Celsius, on January the 20th, 1969. However, I would like to point out that Puerto Rico, should it ever become a state, would also qualify as having never had a temperature of zero. Their lowest temperature is 38 degrees Fahrenheit in the town of, oh. sorry, the city of Abianto. For those of you who are wondering, in second place is Florida, but Florida did record a sub-zero temperature, a negative two degrees Fahrenheit in Tallahassee in 1899. Of course they did. <laughs> we'll have to tell death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Snapcap fact number 1384. The state animal of Tennessee is the raccoon. Just because it sounds like that's in that, just in the area of raccoons. It's the raccoon. You know, that is the raccoon. It sounds like the area of raccoons. Is yes. that what you just said? Yes, I did. <laughs> it's the raccoon area. It, it's, you know, you, you've heard of Tornado Alley? This is Raccoon Alley. Oh, is it now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> raccoon Alley. <laughs> well, I can't. Hey. <laughs> I, you can't argue with these facts. I've, I fear typing in Raccoon Alley into my Googles. So, um... Into your Googles? I'll go with uh, yeah, false. Ah, true. True, I guess. The answer is true. <gasps> Whatever. Raccoon Alley, also known as Nashville, Tennessee. Stupid snap cap. <laughs> <laughs> Tricks are for adults. <laughs> the raccoon, honored on May the 21st, 1971. It was House Joint Resolution number 156. Reason number one that they gave, there are so many raccoons. Reason number five, the state was admired as the home of Davy Crockett, who wore a coonskin cap. And reason number nine, we currently don't have a state animal. Hey, it's canon now. I'm sorry. That's canon. It's United States history canon now. Apparently. Take that to the bank. Or at least to the Snipple factory. <laughs> Snap cap fact number 93. Kangaroos can jump 30 feet. Um, do they... Now... I, I would have to ask the question, though. I'm assuming they mean straightforward. It's a trick snap cap. There is a third option. If you don't like yes or no, you can go, huh? Uh, I don't want to, huh? 
<laughs> I like. Uh, I think they can. I will. You know, I will actually agree. Kanga and Rue look like they could be jumpers. I will agree that it is true. And the answer is, huh? What does that mean? Which kangaroo? There are four different species of kangaroo. The red kangaroo, the antelope kangaroo, the eastern gray kangaroo, and the western gray kangaroo, all of which have different physical measurements. Also, which direction are we talking? Is jumping up into the air, or is it forward? And what actually qualifies as a jump? Normally, when you discuss a jump, you're discussing planting both feet on the ground simultaneously. However, the fact that they're quoting here seems to be that a kangaroo, specifically the western gray kangaroo, can bound, move forward 29 feet at a time. That's when they're being chased by a predator. In terms of jumping physically off the ground, no kangaroo can go higher than 10 feet. So I deem this uh, fact unknowable or poorly worded. So there's potentially a kangaroo that could jump 30 feet. There are just too many variables. But my variable, could they really <laughs> jump 30 feet? <laughs> they can bound forward 29 feet. Do you want to call that jumping? I want to call that a win. All right. <laughs> One point for you. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! Kangaroos, by the way, have uh, reversed hinged knees, which is what uh, accounts for their springiness. Very similar to a boxing crab, which can punch open a clam. Now, I want to see a jumping contest between Rue or Kanga or both against, no, <laughs> against Tigger. <laughs> Who would then? Yeah. Who? Who? I mean, who would bounce the best? Well, is bouncing jumping? Maybe. No, it's bouncing. It's its own word. Well, no, it's a it's a butt bounce. I rest my case. It's not uh, what he said. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Bouncy bounce. Unnamed T brand cap. I'm sorry. <gasps> Snap cap pack <laughs> number 1381. I hate this. I hate it. I love it. It sounds so good though. It when hurts you say my it. throat. Snap cap. A dog's sense of hearing is 10 times more accurate than a human's. I will give my answer first so I don't offend the sensibilities of CA. How I feel avant-garde. like, first of all, don't talk about my sensibilities like you know them. <laughs> I feel as though 10 times is a very accurate number. You know like, nothing. How <laughs> dare you judge me? Does, does, does it just feel right in your heart? No, it doesn't feel right in my heart. I just feel like it. Like why ten times? I feel like they're trying to trick me. I, I I'm going to say I false. have to at least get one right, like for real, because we're on a podcast. So your answer is false. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, what'd you choose? I cho- I chose false. <gasps> Well, you know puppies better than I do, so I'm going to go with false because he's pretty wise. How, how does Lily hear? Do you think she hears you ten times? <laughs> <laughs> That's why she sounds so happy all the time. See? Okay. We're, um, we're in. We're together. Go ahead. The answer is false. Woo! Did we get it? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited we got one. First of all, puppies are born deaf. So if you're talking about a young dog, that answer is 100% incorrect. Uh, They cannot hear until they are about a month old. They can hear about four times the distance of a human. Um, I take umbrage with the word accurate. What 
that what is accurate? What does that mean? Does that mean that <laughs> if somebody's saying the ABCs at a hundred paces, that they can repeat back all of the all of the letters in order? What does that mean? I mean, maybe just means maybe they can hear something, even if it's muffled, perhaps. Their hearing ability also depends highly on whether you clip their ears or not, and also on which species of dog we're talking about, because there are floppy-eared dogs <laughs> and there are perked-eared dogs. Doberman pinchers are a perked-eared dog, and they can hear significantly better than their floppy-eared companions. Wait, so if they get their ears clipped, they can't hear as well? Correct. Oh, oh because it probably because the sound has to go into their ear, into their ear flaps. Correct. <laughs> It's in their ear holes. Their ear holes. <laughs> <laughs> their ear flaps cover their ear holes. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, as a kid, I always thought the ear flaps were like just protecting the ear holes. And if we're talking about frequency, the human rain, the human ear can hear between sixty-four and twenty-three thousand hertz, while a dog can hear between sixty-seven and forty-five thousand hertz. That's twice as high. So even if you're talking about frequency, it is not 10 times as much. It is worth noting that some dog whistles make a noise at 54,000 hertz, which is literally unhearable by both humans and dogs. So literally, you are paying for a piece of trash. Unless you're TK, and then you can hear them. <laughs> <laughs> and are screaming right now. <laughs> Somebody's making a whistle. He, he is, though. He's like, he's the canine of the Thread Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> Snap cap fact 1367. Every tweet Americans send is archived by the Library of Congress. Okay. Shut up. Well, I have to say yes because I love them. You love the Library of. Yeah. Have you ever been to the Library of Congress? Have you been to their basement? Their basement. They have every single yellow pages ever created. It's incredible. Now, it's awesome and it's remarkably creepy as that sounds. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to say false. Have you been in their special collections area? It's incredible. Well, I'm not. They have I'm not original saying. Shakespeare pieces in there. I'm not. That's amazing. I'm not saying it's not incredible, but for tweets, mm. I want them to log my tweets. How cool is that? But what about the incrimination? But it's the government. Exactly, incrimination. All right, fine. No. You're going yes, with false? Whatever. Apparently. Correct. Hey! Woo! Dreams don't come true. In 2010, <laughs> the Library of Congress began archiving every public tweet. However, as of January the 1st, 2018, the Library of Congress no longer collects all tweets. They do, however, collect some tweets. However, they have not released the guidelines for which tweets are collected and which are not. The reason for the change is because A, tweets are now significantly larger and the library was not willing to increase the size of their servers. And also because people are now tweeting just images on a regular basis, which are not catalogable. Ooh, catalogable. Interesting. So there you go. Say that five times fast. Catalogable. No. Catalogable. And finally, snap cap fact number 426. The Empire State Building has 73 elevators. Oh, my gosh. I feel like that's excessive. I... The building or the elevators? The elevators. Oh, okay. Like 73. Do we really need 73? It goes like, what, 80-something stories? 
I mean, you could always just have stairs to get up to like the the tippy top, like the balconies well, and stuff. So, I mean, it's, how many stories can an average elevator do? There is no limit to how high an elevator can go. It's simply a matter of adding more cable. Um, and so, you know, the it could go all the way from the floor to the top. Well, as, well, assuming I would think that if if this is true, only the at, at the very least the express ones would. Or not the express ones, but the one that people would use just to get up to the top as fast as possible. Sure. That that sounds like it would be fairly legitimate. So, I'm going to say true. I, I just feel like 73, no. I'm going to go with false. All right. <gasps> the answer is true. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't play trivia with anyone. <laughs> New York City has 84,000 elevators in total, 73 of which are in the Empire State Building. The Department of Buildings in New York City must inspect 275 elevators every weekday. So they have a massive crew of people who just scour the city, constantly inspecting elevators. Originally, they ran at half speed because of a law that New York City had uh, on the books. But after that law was done away with, uh, they now run at full speed. That speed is 1,200 feet per minute uh, for whatever it's worth. Uh, One World Trade runs at 2,000 feet per minute, so significantly faster. And the fastest elevators in the world are in Taipei 101, uh, which run at a staggering 3,313 feet per minute. Uh, or 37 miles per hour, and you can get from the ground to the roof of that building in 30 seconds. Wow. Good God. Yeah, yes. That's like the bullet train of elevators. <laughs> Our final score. Dak has five points and CA has three, making Dak our winner for the day. Stay tuned for next week when Grizz asks this question. A neutron star is as dense as stuffing 50 million elephants into a thimble. Stay tuned to find out if it is true or false. Or... uh. (laughs) All right. So now it's time for What's in the Box, where my co-host and I attempt to uh, deal with our never-ending box addiction, uh, which (laughs) has gone on for weeks and weeks. Well... It's because you keep giving me wonderful things. (laughs) I have a baby mimic and a baby ooze and a yak. That is true. What more could I want? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go again. After several hours and one heartfelt on bended knee apology, Molly the yak finally agrees to follow you out of the forest. At long last, the two of you reach the end of Garrett's thicket and step out from the frog-infested din into a clear, clean summer's day. Immediately outside of the forest, the path you have traveled becomes a road. Basking in the warmth you have not seen for days, you follow that road to an intersection abutted by a small cliff. There, you find a merchant mending the leather straps of a rucksack tied to the back of his supply llama. (laughs) Greetings, traveler. Name's Luca. I'm on my way to Pell Scar. You in the market? You reply in the affirmative, and the merchant throws a small ball onto the ground. On contact, the ball expands rapidly and splits open to produce an Insta-store full of all manner of knickknacks and medical supplies. Your recent run-ins have left you short of some food and a one-use chemical allergy syringe. 
Luckily for you, Luca the Merchant has both. You pay for your supplies and are about to leave when you spy something truly extraordinary. Hidden behind a bag of beholder feed, you spy what appears to be the end of a whip. The handle is adorned with dozens of black stones and wrapped with a very fine amber thread. Moving the bag of feed reveals the rest of the whip, which is constructed from a grotesque assembly of various human spines. Would you like to try it out? Your whip skills leave a lot to be desired. But for such an interesting specimen, you can't pass up this opportunity. You step outside the shop, under Luca's careful eye, of course, and unfurl the whip. It makes a skin-curdling rattle as the bones slither to attention. No amount of words can be used to describe the shock at what happens as the tip of the whip literally shatters the air at the point of your strike, opening a rift in the space-time continuum. Luca walks up next to your gobsmacked chin and takes the whip from your hand. <laughs> As he curls it back up, you swear you hear the whip moan. Light streams from the tear in the space fabric. You gingerly approach, but spot no creatures lurking on the other side. You stick your head through the hole and have a look around. My question for you is this. What's in the hole? that you ripped in both <laughs> space and time, which technically is kind of like a box in a way that, you know, Stephen Hawking, if he were still alive, would totally confirm on our Twitter account because of all the podcasts that are out there, he totally. would be listening to ours. Breathe, Grizz, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so, Daquan. Yes, ma'am. What's in your hole? What's, what, what, <laughs> you want to know what's in my hole? <laughs> I do. I really do want to know what's in your hole. This is getting hot. I need us to pump the brakes. <laughs> Be very descriptive. Uh, I'm going to reach my hand into my hole. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> and what do you feel? First of all, I'm supposed to reach into your hole. My hand is in your hole. What, Consent. what does it feel like with my hand in your hole? It feels what? <laughs> Like a deck of some kind. I said deck. <laughs> this is too good. <laughs> you didn't even let me respond. You know I was going to ask that. <laughs> so I got my hand on your deck. <laughs> In your hole. <laughs> well. Is it coming out? <laughs> oh, it, it, it slides out really nice. Oh, good. All right. What, what does your deck look like? Well, more specifically... <laughs> It's a very ancient-looking deck. It's a, oh. <laughs> it's a tarot deck. Oh, that's cool. Yes, but this deck is called the Tarot Deck of the Old Ones. Oh, Grizz, look what I pulled out of Dak's hole. <laughs> it's a deck. Yes, it is a deck that seems very ancient, but also seems to hold up quite well over time. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Does it look like my box of the old ones? Oh. It very well could. Maybe they go together. Can can you read <laughs> Griswick's future? Oh, but see, there's a very good potential that this deck could do more than simply read his or yours future. But no one knows. Does it have the power to do more than just read fortunes? I want to know about Grizz's future. <laughs> it is full. 
It is full of podcasts. <gasps> and like the Empire Steel podcast. Yes. Like the Thread Raiders podcast. Exactly. Shut up. And Nowhere Nerds. Yes. Shut up. No. Grizz. Is our podcast the devil? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think we're the devil, per se. I'm trying to think of all the faces that there are in a tarot card deck. <laughs> I mean, you could, well, there's like, maybe what, like the devil? There's, what, is there a joker? The devil, the tower. Uh, we can be the joker. Yeah. It's justice. I think the chariot is chapter approved. I think that's their podcast. I mean, who knows? Well, I mean, this is a this is probably the most ancient tarot deck you've ever found. I mean, you could have cards in there that don't exist in in modern tarot decks that's true clearly one of the cards in this deck is the box oh <laughs> i like that yes that is that is now tarot deck canon <laughs> the box <laughs> and it stands for mystery oh yeah, and, it's mysterious. and and, and potential uh fortune yeah well it also stands for a possible allergic reaction so uh, i wouldn't go too highly on the uh rob rob the box card <laughs> <laughs> all right ca what's in your hole <laughs> for those who are listening this podcast is rated r <laughs> <laughs> as if you couldn't tell that already for only the viewers who were actually in the podcast should watch this <laughs> <laughs> So in my hole, you find a head. <laughs> really? Yay. Are you going to pull it out? Yep. You can't because it's attached with nine inch nails. <laughs> <laughs> so it is actually, when you pull it out, it looks like a skull. As most heads probably would. Mm-hmm. Does it have <laughs> eyes? Uh, no, there's no eyes in the skull. Is it pure bone? It is pure bone. But what species? Is it human? <laughs> it is human, yes. Scary. It is pretty scary. Is his name Yurik? <laughs> you can name it whatever you want, Grizz. Mm. Yurik is too on the nose. <laughs> How about, oh, maybe based on Shakespeare, maybe its name could be Toby. You know, Toby or not Toby. Oh. oh. <laughs> I love it. This is why we bring you back. <laughs> this is why you're I, our first repeat guest right here i i am very honored all right so let me ask you this can i attach the bone whip to the bottom of the skull no damn <laughs> <laughs> that felt so right to me yeah, i could tell you're like so hardcore about it but i'm like what would it do if it, <laughs> it becomes a skeleton oh, no. all right so now we know what's in my hole all right let's go back to your hole new skull different skull when i look on the back of the skull is there anything written on it or carved into it you see that there's a small latch so the top of where the parietal bone is uh comes off dakwin can't help himself he pushes the button Oh, <laughs> I push the it's button. A latch. Oh, he pushes okay. the latch. He flips I, the latch. I flip. Oh, he touches gonna, the latch everywhere in all ways to make the skull activate on him and not on me. <laughs> you open it up and inside there's a note. Now, see, you're wrong. I didn't open it up. I'm, Dak went opened it up. Dak opened up my head. <laughs> and he found a note. There's a note. <laughs> Dak, what does the note say? 
It says... <laughs> I stand back. I stand back as far as there is. So it says, to those you wish to demise. All right, now I'm moving closer again. <laughs> is that all the note says? That's all the note says. Mysterious. I sell it to the merchant. Time. <gasps> <gasps> you sold my head to the merchant? He's <laughs> so Where into bones. How can I refuse him? He gives you a shilling. <laughs> <laughs> and laughs and laughs. <laughs> we have got to end this monster podcast. We're at the two-hour mark. Monster podcast. <laughs> what? Are we really? Whoa. Oh, my goodness. We've had so much fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Dak, you've been great. August the 2nd to the 5th, we're going to be at Gen Con. And by we, I mean other people. Also, November the 3rd to the 4th, our Extra Life fundraiser. Check it out on extralife.com. But you can donate now. You don't have to wait Donate now. Donate. You can donate to the Thread Raiders because we're going to be doing a thing. It's a 24-hour stream. But you can also donate to anybody else there. All proceeds go to help out uh, children's hospitals. And Dak, where can they find you? They, You can find me at... Daquin Game Army, all one word. That's for Twitter. Uh, YouTube, Daquin Gaming, and the same goes for Twitch. Woo, we did it. And for the, all of you out there, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Um, also, we want to thank our steadfast sponsor, Tabletop Loot. And uh, for those of you listening on iTunes, uh, if you could give us a review, that would really help us out. And as always, you can find us on threadreaders.com with links to our Twitter, Instagram, and all of our social media right there for you whenever you need them. That's it. Yee!